Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 266 for Monday, October 9th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend and fellow turkey, Johnny, also known as Pixriffs on the interwebs. Hello, sir. Gobble, gobble, friends. Uh, it's almost that time for folks in the States. Um, Turkey doesn't show up here until a little later in the year, but for Joel, it has been Canadian Thanksgiving, and we are, of course, thankful for Joel. Um, you can hear more of Joel talking about Canadian Thanksgiving, along with a couple <laughs> of other, you know, diversions in the conversation over at the Patreon, where patreon.com slash the spawn chunks is the link. You can get the render distance, the extended version of the podcast by supporting the podcast financially. And uh, for the price of a coffee every month, you can effectively get a bunch of extra content. You get access to an extended pre and post show on every recording. And we have some patron events, some of which are coming up later this month, like our monthly Minecraft hangout, which is usually on the last Saturday of the month, which will be October 28th. And our quarterly hangout is likely happening on October 21st. Details will be posted in the Discord for when we manage to arrange that. And that's where you get the behind the scenes facts and figures of how the podcast is doing numbers wise, a little bit of insight into our metrics on YouTube, all that kind of stuff. We will also have a chunk mail dispenser, which is something our patrons unlocked from our Patreon campaign a long time ago now, and we're happy to keep it rolling where we can focus on community email, and that's going to be later in the month, but it would normally fall on the third show of the month, but that is of course going to be us unpacking everything that's happening at Minecraft Live. Speaking of which, Minecraft Live is happening on October 15th at 1pm Eastern, 5pm UK time, and uh, that's going to be covered on my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash where the Spawn Chunks podcast will have a very uh, formal layout and everything, and Joel and I will be unpacking everything live as it happens from Minecraft Live 2023. Looking forward to that, actually. It's uh, it's uh, a curious time, you know, coming into that, and we'll get, we'll get into a little bit more, I think, later in the show today, but, you know, moving into uh, the new cycle, the way that Mojang is running things now and and seeing what we've been seeing. I'm I'm curious because they've certainly laid a, a, a some questions in front of me. <laughs> yeah, for this week's show that I'm I'm very curious to see the answers for. Um, but speaking of questions, what have you been doing in Minecraft this week? I've been doing a fair bit now that I have Elytra. I'm getting used to flying again. And for the survival guide, I did an episode all about how to fly. And the thing that struck me the most was that now that weather is more consistently rainy, having a Riptide on a Trident handy is very powerful. And I ended up using that a little bit more this week because my main job over the weekend was excavating a trail ruins, which I had finally located in a northerly part of the world in a tiger biome. And so we found the site on the surface with the suspicious gravel and the terracotta identified it as a trail ruins, and I excavated the entire thing. It was partly underwater was the main problem with this, because uh, the way that the terrain had generated, there was a river nearby, but there was also one of those sort of ravine aquifers that was bisecting that. And as I dive underwater, I can see, you know, three or four of the trail ruin houses. Some of the gravel has already updated and fallen through the bottom of it. So whatever artifacts I might have had from that are now unfortunately gone. But there were plenty of more intact houses. And so I ended up just kind of 
excavating everything from the top down as much as I could, and then came back with sponges and a conduit and ended up explaining those concepts as well. But going to and fro from this area with fireworks took me about a minute and a half's worth of fly time, just a couple of fireworks over the top of the mountains. With Riptide, about 10 seconds. <laughs> it's like, it's a maybe... 1500 block journey something like that and it's over in a split second with riptide and amaz wow. amazingly the world can render in front of me that fast uh it's when i'm thankful for having a decent pc but man it's so quick and it's something i could rarely take advantage of before because rain would always be reset by sleeping in a bed every night and since they fixed right. that in 118 or whenever it was the uh the whole thing has been made a little bit more like it's it's a mixed bag because you don't want it to be raining for the sake of videos or streams or whatever like it always feels a little bit oppressive and it always happens first thing after you sleep and so you can't get rid of it for another 10 minutes but the speed it gives you with riptide is almost worth the trade-off for me i don't think i have ever used riptide i Maybe I tried it back when I was watching Cubfan135 do like the golf stuff. Is that Riptide? Because you're standing in water. Yeah, right? you you stand in water and then you fling an Ender Pearl at the top of your like Riptide arc, and that's how the uh, yeah the Ender Pearl golf thing worked, which is a really neat concept. I love that implementation of it, and it's oh. not the kind of thing that you typically do in survival gameplay. But when you've got the uh, the Hermitcraft amount of time and effort that you can put into building a golf course in a server, then it's it's a really fun idea. Oh, I agree. I thought it was very, very cool. But I just remember it being so alien to me because I never bothered. But, you know, I'm the kind of player that curses the rain because I constantly am trying to figure out, can I sleep through this? Is this a thunderstorm? Like, yeah. it's always kind of happening in the way. Um, in some ways, it's kind of fun in that it adds that medieval mood to the Citadel and, and West Hill when I'm walking around. But when you're trying to see what you're doing and building something, specifically if you're outside and you want to see, like, you know, what this looks like in the sunshine and how green is, you know this and is it the right texture combo like i do find it a little bit distracting but uh, that's wild that you can move so fast with riptide through the rain and i think in a lot of ways like players forget about that kind of stuff that you know th that kind of thing i mean like we're coming what, five years ago that was added to the game yeah yeah so I mean, you know like more it, or it less could... as this podcast started was yeah. when we were getting oh, tridents with riptide yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's how i remember it uh, and i think that you know when features in the game start to get that kind of longevity uh, and the conversation around Minecraft is very often always thirsting for new features and what's happening next. Uh, I mean, it's one of the things that the show, you know, pivots on. Uh, I think that it can be easily, you know, forgotten when you have things like that, like Riptide and flying through the rain and, and things like that. And going over the basics of Elytra and what exactly is possible with Elytra, I think is a really uh, worthwhile adventure, you know, because I, I mean, I use them all the time. But I don't know if I do any new tricks or I don't I don't really explore the full breadth of it. Like I'm very often just using one rocket to kind of like Superman hop from like build back to storage room and then back to build again and trying not to smash my forehead off of stuff. You know, like it's it's pretty, pretty simple. I think the one thing that I would say as far as Elytra flight that I am good at is like a soft landing or extending that flight as long as I can, like flying through an open double door and like rather than having to walk the whole length of the church, I can actually fly most of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. that, that kind of a thing. Um, really getting the most of one rocket. Um, I also find it kind of relaxing. And I know 
maybe not as relaxing when you're traveling at breakneck speeds, but like when you're doing things with Elytra, do you find that there's a certain relaxation to like not rocket spamming and like trying to come in for like a, a leisurely landing and, and like more like you're gliding than you're kind of zooming around? Yeah, it sort of gives you time to think. Like travel time is always like that. You know, even even in the real right. world, I feel like a yes. lot of people do thinking on their drive time or on the commute to work or whatever. And I, I think it's uh, it's kind of like that for Minecraft players. You're off the ground. You're not doing the tinkering with the build or the redstone or whatever. And you're you're just allowing yourself to take a little bit of a break. You're probably looking at the sky, so there's not much visual information cluttering the screen, and it does feel a lot uh, a lot calmer up there. Except, yes, I think if you're spamming Riptide, which is sort of like spamming fireworks, but you have to worry about durability rather than the amount of fireworks you've got left, and there's really not much of a downside to it, it just accelerates you and accelerates you. And so at that point, it becomes, is a mountain going to load in front of me, and am I going to go splat against the side of it, which is a, a different kind of game to play. But um, yeah, going back to the Trail Ruins dig, I was I was really happy with this one. We ended up with... 88 total finds. I definitely broke at least two suspicious gravels, so there were upwards of 90 artifacts there. But from that, I got four copies of the Relic music disc. I got all four of the armor trims you can find in the wow. Trail Ruins. Uh, seven different pottery sherds, which I looked it up afterwards, and that is, I think, the maximum amount you can get uh, in terms of the variety that you can get from those structures, and the others are all found elsewhere so i got basically everything i needed out of this dig so very happy with that and i'm looking forward to finding another one in future and maybe trying a different approach to it whether that's a different way of digging it out or maybe i preserve this one in its current state but then restore the next one that i find and populate it with villagers since there are already a few villager workstations in there and I got a couple of really insightful comments from the folks watching this video because it just went up on my channel this morning. And some people noted that the colors of terracotta in this trail ruin specifically, and I'm not sure how some of the others differ, but they are kind of similar to the colors on the coat of the wandering trader. And some of the items that you find mm. in these like dyes and seeds and stuff like that are things that the wandering trader will trade you. And so it is a logical leap, but not a particularly large one, to imagine that the Wandering Trader's civilization began here, was lost to time, and that's when they began their nomadic lifestyle. And I really mm. like that as an interpretation of this. It's not one that I had previously considered, that the Wandering Trader might have been a static villager at one point, but then decided to take up the Wandering lifestyle after this. So I really like that interpretation. That's a really cool idea. And I can see it like with the screenshots that you've shared uh, in our live chat. Like, I, yeah, I can totally understand how that would be a, a visual parallel. Is this the first trail ruin that you've excavated since we hung out with Archaeoplays yes. in Ulraf? Yeah, this is the first one I've done solo. And yeah, the first one that I've done mm -hmm. since that stream. And this one was very different structurally to the one that we encountered it, in terms of the layout, in terms of the variety of houses that were there. There were still a couple of typical features, like I think that tower that appears in each of them has to be there because that's the part that breaches the surface and that you can see from outside so you right. know that there's a structure there at all. But then there was a, a kind of a, an area that I thought of as like a kiln area, a lot of fired materials and mud bricks and there's coal blocks nearby and stuff like that. But then the individual houses or, or whatever you think of as houses uh, along the road part of it were different they were different structures and so it's really neat to see them having that sense of individuality 
and they're so different from ruin to ruin that it makes me want to dig up more of them in my world and see how the others have changed. Yeah, and it sounds like they're absolutely worth it. Like if you take the time to do it properly and you get seven shards, you've got uh, the discs, you know, you're you're able to get all those finds like it's not just like a couple of things for all the effort like you know 80 finds plus you know the the valuable things for decoration that you pick out of them like it sounds like it's well worth it right yeah yeah definitely i mean it's a lot of it is the kind of thing that you can craft yourself uh but in terms of unique items there were maybe 12 that i pulled out total it's all four of the armor trims the four music discs and i mean yeah i guess the the, the sherds on top of that probably makes it more like 15 uh, items yeah. that that like you can't get anywhere else and so they're definitely worth getting if you are a collector certainly um if you want to have one of every type of armor trim then it's essential um but i do think yeah like some people aren't going to have the patience for this kind of thing and you know are going to go for more valuable rewards like diamonds and stuff that they can use to upgrade and improve their equipment but i think once you've got that upgraded equipment it's worth going to one of these and spending a few hours just uncovering it and seeing what's there um, I'm moving on to the technical stuff this week though, I'm building a mob farm later this week so that I can have more gunpowder since I've already used about half the rockets I crafted after I got my elytra, um, and yeah, I, I need more reasons to build structures as well, so I'm kind of looking through what I've done previously and kind of seeing where the inspiration falls in this world to decide what I'm going to build next. Well, I have been building outside of West Hill this week, continuing on with the East Road graveyard that I uh, finished the planning of, I think, the last time that we spoke. And I've moved on to start the final block selections and decorations and things uh, on the inside. I haven't really ventured on the outside yet, but for the most part, the the block palette and the style in which I want to do things has been sorted uh, I've got about one third of the graveyard finished. Uh, the way that the path kind of cuts through the graveyard, it doesn't divide it in half. It's kind of divides it into like different chunks. And so I decided to just work on one, finish it all up and then say, okay, well, that's the blueprint. I can now kind of copy paste for the lack of a better way to say it and do the rest of it. And so it'll be nice to have all the different placeholder cobblestone, you know, uh, gravestones moved or, you know, updated to whatever I want them to be. Uh, there's a special fenced in area or walled in area at the back that i'm trying to try to put some special gravestones in like right now i'm using a lot of mossy cobble andesite polished andesite that kind of thing i'm kind of want to see if i can get maybe some calcite or or diorite in some of the gravestones and maybe separate those out um and it's weird a lot of it actually is making me remember my summer vacations as a kid this is going to sound very strange but i used to vacation with family in a small town in uh, Port Elgin uh, in New Brunswick and uh, I would hang out with my cousins you know at a time when it was totally fine for us to be roaming around in the evenings you know hanging out uh, but there's a lot of churches and there's a lot of graveyards and there's no parks there's no real like playgrounds for kids to run around in so we would play hide and seek basically in church cemeteries and uh, you just basically build up this memory of like all the different styles of gravestones like the flat ones on the ground the tall ones uh, a lot of time the churchyards would have like a fountain or some sort of little place where people could sit and reflect. And so I'm trying to incorporate those. So now instead of just having a graveyard with a wall around it, there's like a fountain and there's like a place where I can, people could light candles and place them down that I haven't finished yet, but I've got the idea for it. And 
there's like the 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 functional part of it like the the groundskeeper shed that's going to be at the back uh and then i've also got um the crypt and i decided as we were discussing last week to pull the trigger and start digging out underneath the graveyard uh, there's a staircase inside that crypt that goes down to a space that is going to have i want to say around 60 double chests i'm not going to pack them like next to one another i, I want to kind of pull inspiration from what you did and try to make it look like a crypt and and have some double chests there that will be good for some overflow storage good for some odds and ends that kind of thing um stuff i can put shulker boxes in to help kind of like keep um the storage system alive but um, i'm going to have to eventually remove my bulk storage system underneath the keep because i want to turn it into a uh, a mead distillery or some sort of wine cellar or something and so uh, i need a place to put all of that and i didn't want it to be miles away and so the graveyard is just outside the east gate so it's actually a pretty convenient location and uh, so that's what i was working on and i'm trying desperately not to go down the rabbit hole of like trying to make this crypt look really super fancy and decorated like I, <laughs> yeah. i'm trying to keep it basic because it's not huge but it's also like it's not something you see you know, on a regular, well, you'll see it on my videos, but you're not going to see it if you're a guest or a server mate walking through the town. It's really not a a showpiece. I want it to be cool looking, but I want it to be functional. So I'm kind of using it for like a little bit of practice. And like, I think we've all experienced those things when you either start a new world or you're on a new server and you want to get up and running and you need some functionality, but you don't want it to be ugly because you know that if you get it functioning and leave it ugly, do you just tend to not update it like you just it just stays a functional room and it just always looks like you've carved out a cave and there's nothing happening so i want to try and do something with deep slate i don't know what i'm going to do with the floor um it, I, it's the kind of thing where like i really wish we had things like instead of mossy bricks i wish we had dirty bricks like i'd love to have that kind of detail but like it's it's not something i want to put too too much effort in but it's coming together pretty pretty nicely i like the idea of having it there uh it's it's i like these little easter eggs they're just for me uh, and in the process of kind of like backing up and looking at how this is coming together i really like the size of it i feel like it's a nice compliment to everything and uh, i've included a couple screenshots of like a down a top down view from the map mod that we use the zeros world map and it sort of gives you the idea of when you have a build like west hill and you're getting close to finishing it and you're wondering why it is complete for the most part in your head, but it doesn't feel complete. And it's because I don't have enough yet smaller, lower to the ground, like uh, shorter builds next to the town to help it blend into the countryside. Yeah. So you can see like along the bottom, there's like the little fishing village. There's the taiga forest that helps a great deal and the rivers help a great deal. There's a decorated lawn that I did a few months ago outside this, the church to the south that really helps blend the the, the player-made town into the Minecraft-generated landscape. And the graveyard is now serving that function on the east side. So as you travel east, like you leave the wall of the city and the gate and everything, and then you've got the graveyard between it and the rolling plains of Minecraft. And I think that once I get the landscaping done on the west hill river to the northeast and the swamp to the north finished then west hill is really going to start to feel like it has a home in the world and i'm going to feel a lot more comfortable to it uh, and i think that that's one of the things i'm picking up from this graveyard is like okay lesson learned like one of the reasons why this is feeling so close but yet so far is because i just i have these 
uh, landscaping things that I have to do or these small builds like this graveyard where you don't really, it's not like a complicated build. You have to plan like a house or a castle or something like that. But a large swamp is just, it's a lot of trial and error. It's like you just have to roll up your sleeves, get in there with a, a decent amount of foliage blocks and dirt blocks and stuff, and just kind of start making it and kind of like start at one end and just kind of keep on going. And it's it's relaxing. It's not overly challenging work. It is a little time consuming, but I think the reward at the end is like, it feels like your, you know, your player made build starts to, um, I guess, transition from that into the natural Minecraft landscape. And it's challenging, but it's, it's, um, I should say it's not, the work itself is not challenging. Coming up with what to put where is challenging. Like it took me a long time to decide, oh, I'm going to put a swamp at the front of this place. I had no idea for years, you know, what was going to yeah. be in the front of this. So, uh, but so far so good. Like I, I like the way that it's, it's all come together. It's about adding context, I think, at this point. It's kind of like, you, you'll know this as yeah. an illustrator, like if you, you design a main character kind of like front and center of the image that you really like and something is missing from that and it's the background, it's like the setting. Yes. There's like, you don't need to put as much detail into that as you have the front and center character, but it's all about adding the context that makes them stand out. And so I think that's the the phase you're at with, with West Hill at this point is just trying to figure out what's going to help it blend and what's going to give it life and history from an exterior perspective which can be tricky but it seems like you've got a, a good notion of how to pull that off and the farm the graveyard that kind of stuff like i, I think they almost look like little um speech bubbles or something the way they're kind of outlined from the top yeah. down view and it's like you know here is here's what the town is saying and it's saying graveyard right now apparently well and it's it's almost like um giving certain districts you know, like it's almost like in this in the same way that within a town you'd have like the market, you'd have like where people live, you'd have like the business downtown, you'd have like maybe the the spiritual area where there might be a chapel or a church or some sort of, you know, gathering space, like that kind of stuff. And it's the same thing when you start to get outside the town, like there's the graveyard, there's the farms, and then what kind of farm is it? Well, the one that's got a wall around it with all the yellow is the wheat farm, and then the one that's green is the potato farm, and it's like that kind of stuff. It's it starts to uh inform the viewer or the player what that space is used for mm -hmm. and that then like you said like adds the context is a great way to put it actually it's perfectly way to, to illustrate it yeah moving on to the news this week we have all three of the mobs for you that have been introduced by mojang coming up for the minecraft live mob vote the crab the armadillo and the penguin each Mob has a video on YouTube that you can go and watch. We'll have links to all of these uh, in our show notes, as well as a Minecraft.net article that explains what will happen with the mob if it is indeed voted into Minecraft. Starting with the crab, uh, the crab has one gigantic claw, which it likes to wave around as it scuttles through its home in the mangrove swamp. If a player finds one of these giant claws, they can use it to place blocks farther away. The article and video both suggest crabs would be able to climb mangrove trees and hide among the vines. The armadillo calls the savanna biome its home, plodding serenely between the long grass, unless you surprise it. Just like a few of its real-world counterparts, the armadillo can roll into a blocky ball if startled. The armadillo also drops a special scoot, which can be used to craft wolf armor. You'll find the penguin in the stony shores biome, waddling around the beach, or swimming in the nearby ocean. The penguin is happy on both land and in the water, though it can be a little clumsy when walking. The penguin can help your boat travel faster. 
The mob vote opens at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on October 13th and closes at 1.15 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on the 15th, which is the day of Minecraft Live. The winner will then be announced during Minecraft Live, which starts at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on October 15th. Surprisingly, we had a Minecraft Java Edition snapshot this week as well. This is snapshot 23w40a. Once again, there'll be a link to the Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes. That was released on Wednesday, October 4th, and is the first snapshot for 1.20.3 on Java Edition. This snapshot contains improvements for shields, changes to chat component serialization, and bug fixes. The major change, when a player is blocking with a shield, the arm with the shield now follows the direction the player is looking at when viewed from a third-person perspective. The bug fix related to that is that shields do not block damage while the player was facing straight up. That's now been fixed, so you can now block damage coming from above you. Some additional bug fixes in 23w40a include nether portal teleportation being inaccurate at large coordinate values, mending incorrectly calculating overflow after a full repair, and clocks and compasses in item display entities not showing the correct time or direction. There are a few other bug fixes and technical changes, which also include the data pack version now being 19, and a few minor changes to chat component serialization. If you need more details about the technical changes and the full list of bugs, those can be found at the minecraft.net changelog that's linked in our show notes. So I'm not sure about you, but I was a little surprised to see a snapshot this week. Yeah, I, well, I was. Um, it seems like, to, this is the impression that I get, and I may be wrong about this, but the team is now large enough that they don't all have to drop everything when there's a Minecraft Live coming up, right? Like, you would assume in previous years that the development team has been a tight-knit enough group that all of their effort is going into what's next, what's the update, how can we present the update in the most concise way that the community is going to be excited about. Whereas now you have a bunch of people who are dedicated to bug fixes, minor updates, the kind of stuff that we're getting in these dot releases for the major updates, which means that everyone who is working on new concepts can be getting excited about their Minecraft Live stuff while the remainder of the team is still plugging away at the technical side of 1.20.3 now. And I think that, you know, it's worth noting that this is the first Minecraft Live that we've come up to after they've introduced the minor updates. Mm. And yeah, you you forget that, you know, with Minecraft Live, they're going to be announcing what's happening in 1.21. And that is many months away. You know, we don't know how many, but many usually. And so there's, it's really, you know, it comes to reason that there's going to be at least one, if not maybe two dot releases for 1.20. Like we could see, we're obviously going to see a dot three. We could see a dot four, you know, or maybe even a dot five between now and whenever 1.21 comes out. That may even include stuff like the experimental villager changes if they decide that those are going to be right. uh, ready yeah. in, in, in time for that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a couple of small changes like this, a couple of gameplay quality of life changes, balancing tweaks, that kind of stuff seems likely, especially if they are building up towards reinforcing certain things like shoring up certain mechanics of the game ahead of whatever they have in mind for 1.21. I am not someone that uses a shield all that often. I think the specialized case that I would use it is is where my thoughts go with the news about the changes to the shield and that's in an end city raid. And I'm wondering if the shield changes will make end city raids a little easier for people that find them either intimidating or hard to execute. Uh, I'm I'm not sure about that because I haven't tested out the snapshot, but uh, it, it feels like a positive change, you know, in terms of the the blocking ability of the shield. 
yeah, I think accuracy when it comes to that stuff, because it's easy for you to look up while holding a shield in-game, but then still take damage and wonder why on earth that's happening. I think it's um, nice to get some consistency in the behavior there, and I'm somebody who uses a shield all the time. I carry a shield basically whenever I don't have anything more important in my offhand. And so, yeah, I, I'm used to using shields constantly. And I think that's that's a, uh, a good change. Um, now, if only it didn't take up half the screen when I was using Riptide. <laughs> that's my, <laughs> my major wish list. E even with the lower shield resource pack that I use from Vanilla Tweaks, I still end up with Riptide kind of covering half the screen with a shield whenever I use it in first person. Um, but yeah, being able to block at more angles is welcome. The fact that it renders that way when you're seeing it in third person is going to make for some fun you know, visual. It's fairly obvious on, on multiplayer servers when you're looking at somebody which direction they're facing. could even use it to gesture at certain things if you wanted to, I suppose. So yeah, I think that's that's a really solid change. Looking forward to seeing if there's any fallout from that. Maybe the, the PvP community was thinking this is the one thing we can use to get the drop on our opponents, but I think most of the PvP community is still using an older version of Minecraft that doesn't have shields anyway. Right. I have not really found End City Raids challenging but I always thought that it was just quirky the way that it that it blocked some bullets from shulkers and not others. And yeah. I didn't realize it was actually a bug that it, you know, it might have been not that um, I wasn't facing the right way or just, oh, quote unquote, that's just Minecraft. You know, uh, I just kind of thought, well, whatever. I've I've never been good at any kind of melee combat in a first person game. Yeah. Uh, I one of the big things I really did not like about. Uh, Skyrim with my limited time in it was like anytime I had to sword fight and block with a shield like in first person yeah I was just like I just I don't know what's going on yeah it always felt very weird and clunky to me in the same way that when you see third-party video of a VR game now that's kind of what like that's kind of first person melee combat feels like to me in all games like I, just, I find it very awkward uh, so I'm glad to know it wasn't just me um, but we'll we'll see how it how it affects things going forward. If you've noticed a pretty mob votes shaped gap in what we've been talking about so far, that's because it's going to be the main discussion this week. So before that, we're going to head on into the mailbag and see what's coming up in the chunk mail. If you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. This email email comes in from the aptly named Minecrafter Man, and the subject is a needed update. Hello, Pix and Joel. After a conversation and consensus with my friends that all of the mobs this year are great choices, we were discussing updates that we all wanted in the game. Though things like an update to the end were mentioned, we came to the agreement that our number one update would be for an update to Minecraft's nature and mobs, the foliage and fauna update, if you will. The foliage part would be an update to the outdated feeling forest, birch forest, tiger, dark oak forest, and jungle biomes. These would not need to be that large of changes as the mega tiger and cherry blossom grove feel good to us. Just add some new blocks and ambient additions to bring life to the forests. Some of the blocks and features could overlap between each biome, fallen leaves for example. Since the jungle is mostly foliage, Mojang could add jungle ruins, which would tie in with the current jungle temple. Like igloos, it could have zombie villagers in it and hint at jungle villagers being in the game. The fauna part of the update would be new animations and or features to older mobs such as the zombie which feels completely outdated compared to the warden, and the sniffers which are full of life and character with their animation and sound design. Wolves for example could have a change in how they fight entities which could bring more use to the potential wolf armor from the armadillo. 
An update like this would be the perfect time to add some of the previous mob vote losers. Moo blooms could be put into flower forests, glares in the lush caves, and the isologer and possibly the illusionist could be added with a new enchantment system. My friends and I all have differing playstyles ranging from building to PvP, redstone, making data packs, and being in-game nomads, and all of us thought that this foliage and fauna idea would be a good update. Would love to hear your thoughts. Minecrafter man died by an isologer and illusionist ambush while petting a moo bloom in a jungle ruin. One of the things that I liked about this email was that it was not one player writing in to say, this is what I think Mojang should do to update Minecraft, but it was a consensus of friends, all of whom play in different ways in Minecraft, as many of the player base does, uh, discussing what the possible updates could be, realizing it probably wouldn't be something like the end update, and then saying, okay, well, what would make sense and what would we all be happy with? And I like seeing this kind of discourse in the Minecraft community. And I love the idea of a foliage and fauna or flora and fauna uh, update. And I feel like while on the surface, like it makes sense in terms of like, you know, you could add the moo bloom to the forest. You could bring in the glare to the lush cave. The way that Mojang seems to be marching forward updates the last few years you really only get one new mob at a time. And I'm not saying that they wouldn't do a flora and fauna update, but I feel like if they did, um, a lot of it would be updates to existing mobs, perhaps like say new animations for cows and horses and, you know, maybe some new animation for a zombie or something like that, because there's a certain number of, uh, I guess, new things that I feel like they have to use as flagships for, uh, for new updates, things like a new biome and then a new mob in that biome, but you don't tend to get more than one biome usually, and you don't tend to get more than one mob usually. And I, and I feel like now that we've had like that big 118 update with the caves and cliffs that they're probably going to go, uh, in smaller increments. And I don't know whether Mojang reserves a new mob like a moo bloom or, or like a glare, if they ever get into the game for a big dot release or, or like a big version release or if they say you know what we're okay with putting this into a a minor release in between you know themed updates uh and so in one way i guess that could be uh, an interesting way to look at something like a foliage and fauna update that minecraft romana suggested in that maybe you'll get some big this works for marketing, it's a new biome or it's a new update to, you know, this this animal or this foliage. And then perhaps the dot releases over the life of that update could add, you know, either animations to and, and visual updates to existing mobs, which I think is more likely, but then like maybe they decide, well, this is going very well. We're going to use one of these dot releases and it's going to be, you know, the, the glare update or it's going to be the moo bloom update or something like that. And I just, I think it's an interesting idea and a really cool um, consensus of thought from all these players that of all the things that they could ask for or could want in Minecraft, they basically came to, we want the overworld to look better and feel, in my opinion, I feel like what they're getting at is that they want the overworld in Minecraft to feel more like a modern game. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. I think, uh, especially with the mob vote, discussion right now seemingly dividing the player base <laughs> in in a in a fairly friendly way but usually these things tend to get a little bit uh 
uh, tribal, I guess, for want of a better word. Like, pe people tend to pick a side in a lot of these things. It is nice to have an email that focuses on people reaching an agreement and there being kind of community spirit involved and finding common ground. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's, there's some interesting aspects to this. I think one facet of this, to play devil's advocate on ideas like this, is that a lot of the Minecraft player base is going to be looking for new features. And... I think one of the issues that you run into with revision of older features is that it is harder to point to a feature of an update and say that was the new thing that came around this time. And I think right. we've had that problem with the Trails and Tales update because a lot of the newer features have been things that were augments to additional like existing stuff so the trail ruins a really large structure with a lot of new items in it in terms of the pottery sherds and the um new music disc and the the armor trim templates is pretty much exclusively buried and it was added to older biomes it's not like a new biome that has this new structure in it it's the kind of thing that you have to go back through older biomes in order to find and when you find it it seems sort of underwhelming until you dig down past it that past the surface and you see what the entire thing looks like. I think the problem with making these sort of revisions to older feeling biomes like forests and, and jungles and that kind of thing is that you end up with a few players who want something new and juicy to sink their teeth into just feeling like the stuff they already have has been tweaked, you know? It's like putting new batteries in an old toy. It's, you know, it's renewed with life for a few minutes but then it's still just going to feel like you're playing with all your old toys instead of getting something new um i i don't deny that something like this should happen eventually because i think like you said the old biomes are sort of showing themselves at this point the ones that have not been dramatically changed by the terrain changes that we got in in 118 you know it hasn't felt like a huge overhaul to forest biomes to have a variety of terrain shape in there because they're still just the same mixture of oak and birch trees and i think beehives are probably the newest thing that's really been added to forest biomes for for the last little while and so i think eventually stuff like that should start to roll around but whether it needs to be the focus of an update or whether it's just something that can trickle in slowly over time as they add new features. I, I think Mojang's approach is going to be a little bit of both. It's going to be something for the old and something for the new in the case of stuff like Trails and Tales where we saw that creeping in. Even the Wild update, I think, started out with the Swamp Revision idea, but then had to break that out into an entire new biome once they realized that mangrove trees really felt like they had their own character and there was the opportunity to add mud blocks and a few other things. So I think that's that's really where Mojang seems to stand on this, is that why revise a lot of things in a small way when you can get one big revision and it feels like something new for the players who want something to grab onto. Yeah, I would agree. And I, and I think that, you know, if I was to have one criticism over the idea that, you know, Minecraft or Man and their friends are putting forward is that there's an awful lot of that email. You'd never get that all in one update. Yeah. Like that's, yeah this... That seems like several updates worth of, of ideas. And I think that that's the thing. And one of the, I think probably one of the keys as to why Minecraft has lasted so long, you know, as it enters into what, 13 years, 14 years now? Yeah. I, I, I feel like that's one of the things that keeps it uh, such a long-standing game is that they do pace themselves. And and I think we've heard as well uh, from the developers, specifically Agnes, I remember uh, on one developer interview 
saying how much they like to carefully consider and think about what's going in the game. And it's not just like, oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah, everybody agrees. Let's do it. It's more like, okay, well, what does it mean? What what could we do to this idea in Minecraft to make it like a big deal? Like, how does this really add value to the game? They they ask hard questions of themselves, I think, when they when they add new stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons that Minecraft is so successful. Yeah, when you have a long term strategy like that, you start to think, well, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And throwing in Precisely. all of these features right up top is potentially going to cheapen them. And you end up with the you know, wanting to one-up yourself with future updates, and that just leads to you burning out with the amount of effort you have to put into something. Much as the community is grousing right now over the fact that we can't have all three mobs of the mob vote uh, added to the game at once, because they all seem like good ideas and good ambience for the biomes they're going to be introduced to and all of that kind of thing, they take a craftsperson's approach to this and making sure the experience is shaped to the point where there are very few rough edges. Um... So this obviously naturally brings us into our discussion about the 2023 mob vote. Uh, you've heard our predictions. We were absolutely wrong. <laughs> or at least I was. I will, <laughs> I will own up to being wrong about that because I was expecting fantasy creatures, another golem, you know, a bit more of a repeat mm, of the stuff mm -hmm. that we've had in the last couple of years. And then Jeb says cute animals. And I'm like, well, what does cute animals really mean? Like, you know, anything in Minecraft could, in theory, be an animal as long as it's not like an automaton like the golems are. And then they came out and released three cute real world animals. And we went, well, <laughs> that's that's our opinions out the window now enjoy our opinions about the three mobs they have announced for the 2023 mob vote uh do you want to give us your general thoughts uh up, up top joel what do you think about the additions that they have proposed so generally speaking and this is going to be a little bit of a devil's advocate approach uh i'm not overly excited about them that doesn't mean i don't like them I'm just saying I'm not really blown away. But I think yeah. that that kind of goes to your comment from last week where you're just like, th th they save the big explosions, the big time stuff for the major, you know, releases that are controlled by Mojang. They don't want the players voting on something that's going to be game changing, right? And I, and I think that that's true of these mobs as they've come, you know, through. Um, I do feel like compared to last year and maybe because the moms last year were so wild and weird uh that we have a lot less information to go on this time around uh like it's you get one little factoid about the mob and then you're asked to vote on it and unfortunately because players like us and i think a lot of players in the game are excited about these things and they want to know more you're left with a lot of questions i mean like well that's cool but how does it work or how would that be implemented? Or like, what does that mean? Uh, and then you're asked to vote on your favorite without all the information. And I always find that a little bit frustrating about the mob vote. Uh, I'm assuming that the mob vote continues on year after year because it's a good engagement tool and it yeah. gets people to watch Minecraft live. It gets people to participate. It gets people to think about the update. And I'm sure it's a great marketing tool. Uh, I don't know how practical it is in terms of getting a mob in that, you know, that really deserves it but at the same time we've also seen things like you know the idea of a frog you know in minecraft uh that as you mentioned earlier spins out into an entire you know biome and they have to separate things and then they end up with uh different variants of frogs that we didn't expect like there's all kinds of stuff like that that we don't know and so in that light in a positive light you know depending on which of these mobs is your favorite 
there might be variants. There could be different things that spool out of it that we are just not anticipating. And as we've seen recently with the new experimental village trading uh, updates and features that are in the snapshots, I mean, as this mob, whichever one is chosen, gets developed over the course of time, we may see opportunity for player feedback, you know, in terms of how it functions uh, and whether or not, you know, it's it's coming together the way that players envisioned, even though it was the one that got voted in. So we'll see. Um, I always find it curious how this stuff rolls together. Yeah, I think the thing to remember is to vote for the mobs based on the information they have given us and then to advocate for tweaks to the mobs once we know which one we're getting, right? Yes. Like, we, we don't want to make any assumptions about the features that they've been given doing more than they say they're going to. But if you look at the LA as an example, I think some of the functionality that was added to the LA was not clear from the original presentation and it may not have even been part of their vision for the LA, but with community feedback, with some testing in snapshots, how does this mechanic feel for players to actually use in the world? Some tweaks were made to their follow range, to you know where they go to drop off items, to being able to duplicate them using amethyst shards and a jukebox. You know, there's there's some things like that that weren't necessarily part of their original vision that the community has been able to. Uh, if not persuade, then at least advocate for uh, when Mojang have been workshopping the mob once they've made it. Because the other thing to remember is that none of these mobs actually exist yet. And I think this is my answer really to the why don't we add all three of them argument is that they are not asking for us to be given three things and then have two of them taken away. We are voting for which one of these ideas do we add to the scope of this update and actually develop into a real feature. Uh, it's like, you know, there, there are definitely people out there who can mock up these ideas ahead of time, but obviously these ideas have been through several iterations before they even make it to the cute animated feature where they're each introduced. Um, so let's go through the three of them, uh, starting, I think, with the crab, since it was the first one we knew about. Um, personally, I like the design of the crab. I like the functionality that the crab claw is going to add for players. I have no idea how the two are connected. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the crab is connected to the claw and is going to drop the claw somehow. Uh, it's unclear how, but I presume it's kind of like a goat horn. Maybe the crab jumps down from a tree onto a hard block-like stone instead of the soft mud of the mangrove swamp, and the claw breaks off, and then players find the claw, according to the video, instead of killing the crab to get the claw or shearing the crab to cut its claw off or something equally brutal. Um... The thing about the crab claw for me is that it's obviously a tool of some kind, but crab claw doesn't immediately say to me, okay, you can place things further away with that. You know, unless we're crafting it into one of those extendo grip kind of tools, it seems unusual to me that the implication for crab claw is immediately, we can put a block further away. And if we can put a block further away with a crab claw, why can't we grab stuff from further away? That that seems like the kind of functionality I would expect from a claw is something that helps me pick stuff up rather than stuff that helps me put stuff down. How do you feel about the, the functionality proposed for the crab claw? Well, that's what grabbed my attention for the crab. It was the functionality. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the design. I love the asymmetry of it. That it's got a big claw and a small claw. And, and I think that a crab fits into minecraft in that it's it's a very unique even a, a visual mob we don't really i mean we've got spiders but i feel like the crab has just got that little bit of a different vibe to it 
uh, especially if like in the little cartoon, they it climbs things vertically. Like if it can kind of scale up a wall yeah. sideways, um, that kind of stuff would be really cool. Um, but for me, I had the same questions, you know, like when I, when I thought about, okay, well, the claw extends the player's reach for placing blocks. I mean, just like you, I went straight to a, a toy I had when I was a kid. Uh, and it took me a while to find the screenshots for these, but this, this is a, a circus toy, which is what I had to cue in to see if I could like find the image. Uh, modern versions look more mechanical, but the, the thing that I had as a kid was a yellow stick with a crab claw on the end of it and a little string and a trigger on the other end. And it allowed you to basically like grab stuff. It just, it was just a silly little, little toy. Um, but that's what I thought of immediately. So I was like, okay, well, I can sort of see how they go from, you know, crab and extended reach and stuff like that. But like you, I thought, well, I was using the pick it up mostly, you know? And so I don't know the questions that I come into are like, I don't know how this is implemented. Like, how does this extend your reach? Do you have to hold it in your inventory slot? Does that take up an inventory slot? Cause that's not the most appealing way to do this. Cause yeah. it's just, we already have enough of it in our inventory, right? Uh, my, my last couple streams in that graveyard, I have had lots of inventory pain because of all the different things and textures I want to use at the same time. And so like, so that's a question is like, how does it get implemented? Um, do you use a claw to then enchant a tool that you have to have? But then if you've got the tool in your hand, you can't place a block at the same time. So there's a lot of questions that I have about it. Um, I do notice this and through the other mob, the armadillo, that um the mobs are dropping these things it looks like they're it's not that they drop on death it's like it's a natural part of you know what's going on yeah uh i we saw that with turtles and her, they drop their scoots um when they grow up uh the i mean crabs molt and when they grow um crabs can also just lose a limb and grow it back so like maybe the crab gets startled and drops a claw and runs away and then just you know eventually it'll grow back i don't know uh in in minecraft uh, so I think that that's, that's neat. Uh, so if you wanted to, like, if it's a consumable thing, like say, what if you have to make a potion with it and, and, and drink it, and then you have longer reach for a limited amount of time, uh, is eight minutes long enough, you know, if that's, if that's the time limit on it. And I feel like if it is a consumable, while that would be a pain in the butt, it would also foster ideas like, well, now I want to make a crab farm, you know, can I breed crabs? Can I, in the same way that we have sniffer farms where they roam around a pasture and they sniff up seeds that you can, can collect and, and then do your, you know, your ancient flowers with can, you know, could players do that with crabs where it's like if they wanted several crab claws, if they just kind of had a little crab farm, the crabs would be happy. You know, they walk around, they do their thing and every once in a while they drop a claw and then you just, you pick it up and then you have several. I like it does, you know, open up some, some cool ideas, but I guess it depends on is that amount of effort worth it for a player that wants to just be able to reach a few extra blocks? Yeah, and I think there's a couple of mechanical issues with it. And and first of all, like to, to address what you just said, I think um, a lot of the mobs that they add that are real-world animals have this pattern now of not needing to kill them in order to acquire yeah. the, the stuff. Like, it's, it's kind of like a bit more understanding of, you know, stewardship of the natural environment and not killing stuff unnecessarily, not feeling that sort of blasé about the lives of animals around you. Obviously, the educational stuff for kids doesn't really need to be stated any more than we already have. But, um, yeah, I, I like I like the idea of farming them to get hold of this thing because I presume it's going to be a tool and not some kind of passive effect or buff for 
either having one in your inventory or turning it into a potion, because if it increased your placement range without you holding it, then it would also have to allow you to break blocks or attack at an increased range, because what you can place blocks against is indicated by that wireframe that you see around the block that you're looking at, and if you can't see the wireframe, then you can't place a block there, but you also can't break that block. And if you can see a wireframe, it feels weird mm. and unintuitive to not let you break a block from that far away, but allow you to place a block against it from that far away. And so having it as a holdable tool mitigates that. But with that in mind, if it is something you hold, how do you know which blocks you are using with the crab claw? Do you have to load it up with blocks first? In which case, do you need to open your inventory and add a stack to it manually every time you want to switch blocks? I feel like using pick block in that case would be a good idea if they have a unique pick block behavior that allows you to load up the crab claw with a block you're looking at instead of just swapping it out for the blocks from your inventory. Um, the other option is using the offhand, whether you're like holding the crab claw in your offhand and the blocks you want to place in your main hand and they operate in tandem, or alternatively you hold the crab claw in your main hand and the blocks in your offhand. But that's not currently possible for Bedrock Edition players. And so whether or not the usage of the crab claw encourages them to implement the offhand in a more robust way for Bedrock players is another potential knock-on effect of the crab claw being added. And this is one of the reasons why this can't all be done overnight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you can't develop something like this in a day because you have to consider the mechanical implications across multiple platforms. How does this feel for mobile players to use? That kind of thing. Um, and I'm not sure how much internal prototyping they do on any of these ideas or if they just throw the idea out there, worry about how they're going to implement it later, maybe have some sort of basic ideas, but see what the community thinks. But I'm curious how this crab claw would feel to use, because if it doesn't feel good and it takes up, as you said, another inventory slot, I can imagine builders just ignoring it in favor of just scaffolding slightly closer to the thing they want to build, right? The kind of stuff that we, the shortcuts that we already take to make sure that we can, you know, build an, an arch around a doorway that's just like one block high, you just pillar up a block how convenient is it going to be to use this crab claw just to reach that little bit further? Um, then again, if you look back to our discussions about when they changed the reach on crouching, uh, you were excited and I was in, in mm, very excited mm -hmm. about just being able to place an additional block further downward. Like if you're building a wall from the top down and you're just kind of like moving along and adding three blocks as you go in that kind of pattern that you do when you're building a large wall of a single block of material imagine being able to place four blocks as you go and how much that speeds up the process so there are definite advantages to this it's just how well it is implemented and how intuitive it feels to use how convenient it feels is going to make or break that as a feature the crab design completely aside i think the functionality of the claw is going to be the most contentious thing if it ends up getting added. And I think that's one of the things that's preventing this from being the out-and-out -out winner for me, is that I don't know how the Crab Claw is going to change any other aspects of gameplay. And it's impossible to know that until they start implementing it, which they clearly haven't yet. And there's a few things that I, I try to, and this is all pure speculation, you know, looking into the the text that they have in the article and some of the things that they have in the different videos as we'll go through these different mobs. But one thing that they mentioned was just like its real world counterparts, the crab is 
important to the mangrove swamp ecosystem, which is why you can find it hiding between the vines of its mudtastic biome. And so I don't know if that's just simply a reference to tell the player where you can find the crabs and you might have to look around to grab them. They're not necessarily going to be on the ground. They could be up into the roots and up into the vines of a mangrove swamp. But, you know, if the crab gets in, one of the features that it could have that we don't know about yet could be something to do with a new feature in the mangrove swamp because of, of integration into the ecosystem. I don't know what that could be, but it, it, it has some potential to add more to the mangrove swamp and not just be a crab with a claw that has something to do with the player. And so I'm, I'm hoping to hear, this is why I want to hear more about, like, I'd like to hear more about that kind of stuff to, to see mm -hmm. whether it inches its way up or down in my list of what I might be voting for. Crabs in real life come in all kinds of different types and colors. And, you know, we have questions about whether or not the same, the claw could allow players to break blocks as well as place blocks. Well, maybe there could be a different crab for that. You know, I mean, when I think of a crab, I'm not sure about you, but I think of a red crab on the beach is basically, or an orange crab on the beach. It's kind of where my cartoon brain goes immediately. So I was surprised when they said crab and it was blue, you know, with it, with an orange and yellow claw. But I think that's great because it, it, go, it goes outside of what players expect. But, you know, beaches, uh, the beach biomes in Minecraft could use a little love. Um, frozen oceans also. Uh, having different types of crabs in the same way that we have different types of uh, frogs in the game uh, could be fun. For flavor, it could also add functionality if that's the way they want to go. So maybe you have to get, you know, a, a king crab from a frozen ocean to be able to break blocks from farther away. And you need to get a mangrove crab from a mangrove swamp in order to place blocks farther away. I don't know how that's implemented. I have all the same questions that you do, but there are ways I feel like adding a crab could be more than just the one in the same way that adding frogs. It's not, yes, we've got um, three different colors and in themselves, they don't do anything different from a um, behavioral standpoint, but they do give you three different colors of uh, frog lights. So there's things like that that could be brought into the game and it's like who knows where it could go i do feel like the crab has a lot of potential but there's just as many questions uh as i have like excited speculative notes you know yeah and i think giving it that amount of potential is one of the things that i think would sort of preclude it from being introduced in a vote in the first place if they planned to add that kind of right. additional stuff yeah i think this is all stuff that players would end up maybe advocating for as an expansion to the crab idea once it got voted in um so you can't assume any of that stuff ahead of time although i do really like in an almost a parody of those old iphone adverts where they'd say there's an app for that i like the idea of there's a crab for that <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's got it's got good branding potential i like that um the other thing I've seen people suggest just based on the idea of being able to place blocks further away is the effect it could have on the PvP community, provided, of course, that the PvP community plays on a more recent version of Minecraft. But um, the ability to place lava buckets from further away than somebody's attack reach changes PvP in a big way. Um, being able to build a wall in front of somebody before they get to you from further away. Um, the, there's a few things like that that maybe in a niche community is really going to shake up gameplay if it is added and there's there's excitement in the potential of that i think for me when it comes to the crab um so yeah i'm i'm on the fence about the crab functionality wise but i agree with you i think it sounds like something that has a lot of potential 
let's move on to the armadillo. This is the one that will add life to savannas, curls up into a ball, drops a scute in a similar way to what the turtle does, and that would allow the player to craft armor for wolves. And I think you mentioned this earlier. Um, I recognize that the average casual Minecraft player enjoys taming mobs and adopting a menagerie of pets in Minecraft, so the community in general is probably going to love this, but I simply don't care about the wolf armor. I am not one of those guys. I don't like having pets in Minecraft. I don't use wolves when I go exploring, when I'm, you know, taking on a horde of skeletons or whatever. I, I just don't bother with them. Um, the only example I can think of using wolves in recent memory is for the utility of them scaring skeletons so that you can separate out mobs from a general mob farm or with the skeletons if you want them to run a certain way they can run away from wolves um that kind of thing but in terms of the stuff i do day to day i don't use wolves at all so i'm i am not the audience for the armadillo even though i think it's a cool mob and i like the design of it more than i like the crab i feel like in terms of Minecrafty animal, something that effectively turns into a block when it's frightened, almost like the opposite of the shulker that turns into an attacking sort of creature when it's threatened. I, I like the idea of the, the armadillo almost being the reverse of that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily the target audience for the, the wolf armor concept. How about you? I fall in the same camp. I don't really see the appeal of wolf, wolf armor. I feel like this is a tailor-made feature for people that put sweaters on their dogs you know that match yes, that match th their own this this is the thing i think if the armadillo gets voted in um i think maybe people are already assuming that you can add armor trim to wolf armor which is a pretty big assumption because the most comparable thing we already have is horse armor and you can't do that with horse armor it is absolutely something mojang should consider doing if the armadillo wins that's again another thing that i will say the player base should advocate for because if we don't end up getting different dog breeds in game i think a good compromise for the people who love dogs and want more customization for dogs would be the ability to give them cool sweaters and so i think having additional functionality given to armor trim retroactively by introducing trimmable wolf armor is going to be a good compromise i think for people who want yeah that that level of customization over their wolves appearance I, for one, would prefer different breeds of dog, you know, in terms of an, an, an update to the, the wolves and the dogs that you can have in the game. Because if wolf armor comes into the game, you can almost put a pin in any kind of different dog breed because they're good, unless they keep them all the same size and they just don't give anybody any small dogs ever. Because I feel like it would be just that much more work to have armor for dogs that would also fit on models of different breeds of dogs if they were smaller i mean we're getting down a rabbit hole here but like that that it's just not something that's high on 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 my list and i think from a practical standpoint too um early game you spend a couple hours in minecraft and you very quickly don't need a wolf to help you fight mobs like that's just it's not something that i ever thought was very useful beyond maybe early day just to kind of see if you could do it um I know that they've had some improvements, but I do find the pathing on tame wolves quite rough. You're more likely going to have them teleport to a weird ledge near you or drown than they are going to be of any use when you're fighting, you know, mobs. Uh, I do know that people sometimes use them for like skeleton farms, but I also know that it's hard to keep those dogs alive. So maybe wolf armor would be something that would appeal to redstone contraption people that want to make, you know, a skeleton farm or something like that and have the mobs die in just a unique way. But like, there are more efficient ways to do almost everything that a dog currently does in the game 
uh, era Wolf currently does in the game. So that's why I, I don't really see this as um, a function of the armadillo that I find appealing. I think as you do, the design of the armadillo is appealing. I think adding a unique animal to the savanna will certainly help the biome feel more alive, more unique. Yes. Um, yeah. I can, I feel like there's a little bit of confusion in the function with dropping a scoot. Turtles also drop scoots. I guess they'll have to differentiate the scoots somehow. I guess they'll just be called armadillo scoots and turtle scoots, but I could just, I, and I know that the turtle scoots are used to make armor. You used to make a turtle helmet. So like I, they, they have like a kind of a, a crossover there, but it does seem a little bit samey from stuff that we already have in the game. Um, I liked the little personality of the squeal of the armadillo. Like when, when, um, when he's, when little, um, mini yens, uh, uh, when he, tiny yens, tiny yens, <laughs> yeah, tiny yens, yeah. When tiny yens startles it and it kind of squeaks. Um, and then you mentioned the shulker box. I just kind of see this like endless loop of like the shulker box grumble, shooting a bullet and then the armadillo squealing and hiding and then yeah. r- mm-hmm. rinse and repeat, you know, like if you get them next to each other. They, they become a good a good double act, don't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Little little comedy routine between the two. Yeah, Armadillo dubstep. Uh yeah, I'd, like it could be it could be cute in that way. Um that the cartoonist in me, and this is where, you know, I go off the rails, there's a really unique opportunity if they want to go this way with the armadillo. I would love for it to be able to roll around in that ball. I know that's not how they travel, but if anybody has seen Raya uh, and the Last Dragon, the Disney film, uh, Tuk Tuk is like an armadillo-like fantasy mob. He gets to be the size of a horse and ends up being a mount. But when he first starts out, he's like gerbil size and he rolls up into a ball and that's how he travels around. And I just, I think it would be really interesting and fun and whimsical, not very practical to have the armadillo like roll around like that. Now, I don't know how you get a box to roll around in Minecraft. I think it might even be funnier that way uh, if that was how it happened. Uh, but that's the kind of thing where like it doesn't really add any functionality to the game. It's just about flavor and seeing things. Now, if the armadillo does get in, you know, you're talking about players advocating for different things. If that is the thing that players find the most appealing, would that or could that lead to, well, if we're going to be updating the armadillo in the uh, taiga biome, does that also mean that they would then update the taiga biome? Because I went and looked up what armadillos eat. They're omnivores, but they eat mostly insects like termites which was part of the proposal for an update to the savannah a long time ago and so like there's some potential there if the armadillo is the direction that the um the player base wants to go where mojang can say all right well if we're going to go here then it might be worth adding a little bit more to the ecosystem of the savannah to make the armadillo feel more like it's not just added from a mob vote but it's actually part of a more um, symbiotic update and and something a little bit more organic and so that could be fun if if the armadillo gets in and it ends up updating the savannah so in that way it's kind of appealing but i like i it doesn't really add a lot of function and i'm i'm looking for a mob for me personally that is both appealing visually has some fun you know whimsy added to the game but then also brings some new gameplay specifically yeah yeah um i i would assume that going by the scute thing they will probably drop them when they grow from baby to adult like turtles so there's some breeding involved there so again like you said they have to have some kind of food whether that comes with the armadillo in that edition or if they just 
you know retcon that it eats beetroot seeds or something like that i don't i don't know i'm not sure which way they go with that um i like yeah i like the ball idea quite a lot um archeo plays in our chat went the same way i did uh and thinking of road to el dorado where they play a game which wikipedia tells me is called ulama or at least the uh uh, modern version of it is um it's effectively like a hoop based ball game um where they use an armadillo and it helps them win basically because they cheat um but yeah there's there's some there's some fun to be had there but i don't know if it's ever going to be part of armadillo functionality especially considering that we're not supposed to be harming these creatures kicking one around like a ball seems kind of unlikely <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, there's there's some interesting opportunities again for the armadillo to be expanded as an interaction, and I expect it would just end up with you farming the scutes to get more more wolf armor. But yeah, the concept is one that I enjoy more than the crabs, but the functionality the crab adds is something I would probably end up using or at least giving a a fair shake, which seems unlikely for me with uh, with wolf armor. And I'm sort of feeling the same way about the penguin idea because I love the design penguins are classic looking animals they have a really recognizable silhouette beloved character several animated movies based on them um but i'm not sure on the functionality the helping you push boats part is i think intentionally vague and i think players would end up having input into whether the penguin gets in the boat with you or my personal preference hangs off the back like an outboard motor uh so i think there's there's potential there for again players to have input into exactly how this idea is implemented and this is one of the reasons why they don't want to just shove their own implementation in it and ship it tomorrow um i, I think they want to understand what players want out of something like this they are quite clearly rock hopper penguins as well they have the kind of um frilly plumage on their heads so they're not arctic uh, antarctic rather penguins so that's why you end up seeing them on stony shores rather than in ice spikes or somewhere where people might stereotypically expect to see penguins so they kind of pitched you a curveball uh, right out of the gate but um i think the main point of contention with penguins that the community is discussing is whether or not the moving boats faster functionality works out of water because in the video they state that penguins are much more graceful in water than they are on land and the majority of the community is interested in this presenting a faster travel option which combined with the current usage of boats on ice roads through long stretches of terrain in the overworld or in the nether um that's one of the faster ways to travel and so if you can have a penguin pushing you at the same time that you're on this ice road is that going to make your boat faster um i don't know if they'll necessarily go to those lengths because there are some folks who already have trouble with terrain loading in fast enough for their ice boat roads to work but I want to encourage players to think about the transport options for, let's say, peaceful players as a completely different um, gameplay style. People who don't have access to faster transport options like Elytra unless they use a data pack to import that in or cheat them in using commands. Um, I think the ability to travel faster and set up canals and waterways that can be penguin enhanced is an appealing prospect for people with a certain gameplay style in much the same way that the increased reach option gives the pvp community something to think about i think also if the penguin isn't in the boat with you if it's not taking up the passenger slot of the boat consider that it will be easier to transport mobs from different biomes say you're getting a mushroom back from a mushroom island to your base 
and you don't want to go through the nether because there's a chance the mushroom will die and you'll have to start the journey all over again. Same goes with villagers. If you want to transport villagers back to a central trading hall from a swamp or a jungle or somewhere that you've had to get them in order to get certain book trades in the revised villager trading rebalance, being able to push those boats faster, get the job done quicker, you're going to be saving time overall if you have a penguin helping you push the boat. So there is potential for that feature to be usable in ways that players dismiss too easily because they're used to flying around with elytra, I think. The penguin for me, I think, has the most potential to be both fun and useful. For, for those reasons, you know, like it's got a great design, as you mentioned, not, not a normal kind of traditional penguin like you'd think most people would would put in or, or think of if they think of penguin, they think of like bowling pin, you know, uh, yeah. and I think that having the rock hopper penguin in there really keeps that feeling unique from a, you know, a visual standpoint, uh, the the boat functionality and stuff, because of the potential to have it be like racing boats and you know mini games and all the things that you can do there for transportation compared to also you know th that's the fun part and then also the practicality of like if the penguin isn't in the boat as the passenger then you could move moms around easier on land i picked up on just how much time they were spending with yens rowing very slowly across the desert or the savannah mm -hmm. uh or no he was in a badlands uh like that kind of stuff really made me think of like okay well like that could mean that the the penguin on land could could help the player move the boat faster but then like in order to have that be practical and, and something worth doing putting a penguin in the boat has no appeal because if that, if that takes up the passenger slot then well that's just i mean who cares uh there's much faster ways to get around uh, so I think there could be some inventive ways that, again, this is my cartoonist brain thinking like if the penguin sat on your head, like it's in a crow's nest while you're in the boat, like you become the mast and it then somehow enhances your speed of navigation just because it can see farther because it's higher. And that's how you move faster on land. I mean, that is all that's funny, whimsical, cute, and also gives you a, a cargo space in the boat, you know, to put your chest or to put your, you know, your, um, your villager or your other mob to move around. So I feel like it does kind of do the best part of marrying what I think are the three things, functionality, fun, and appeal, like cuteness. Um, the one thing that I think is concerning with all three cute animals, I think armadillo and penguin being cute, wouldn't really call crab cute. Um, but I feel like there are a section of players that none of this matters. They're just going to vote the one for the animal that they think is the cutest. Right. Sure. Yeah. Like if I can't think of another cute animal that, that, that isn't already in Minecraft, like stereotypical, like, you know, puppy, kitten, bunny, like that kind of stuff. But if the crab was replaced with something else that was really adorable, then I, like, I think it would, it functionality would matter less. And people are just going to go, I'm going to say penguin just because that's, probably what people are going to find the cutest and it's just going to be like oh penguins are my favorite animals i don't care what it does i just want a penguin to look at in minecraft right and so when we start to speculate on all these functionalities i feel like the majority of players that that are out there voting i don't know if any of this really matters and so and that's why i go back to like my earlier comment about the the mob vote being more of a marketing thing for minecraft live and less of an actual 
I guess at this stage, to, to your point, at this stage, for, for me, it's a marketing thing. It's only after the mob is selected that then we get into the player feedback and the advocation for different features and really finding out, okay, well, this got voted in because it's cute, but what, what can we do with it now? And I think that that's an important thought to keep in the back of everyone's mind in that it's it's not going to be interesting before the vote. It's going to get interesting after the vote. Yeah, I, I honestly think functionality is still going to be a lot of the community's concern. Like you look at the LA vote, for example, I think that year the glare was probably the cutest. It was effectively a grumpy lettuce. It was definitely cuter than the copper golem, even though the copper golem's like, you know, it's a little guy. Um, and then the Alley, I guess, like maybe has the kind of fairy appeal for people who are into that sort of aesthetic. But I, I don't think the Alley was necessarily the cutest and it won out because of the potential the functionality had and people advocating for that side of things. I think the sniffer was the cutest option last year, but I also think the rascal and the tough golem didn't have enough functionality to make them more appealing than the sniffer. And I think this year we're sort of left with the same issue where aesthetics is going to matter more because the functionality doesn't seem to right. make it really game-changing or like anything that has a huge amount of depth. I think the most depth comes from the crab claw idea, but not necessarily the way the crab claw would function. Whereas with the LA, it was like, hey, something that picks up items and, and carries them to you and, and you know, finds more items of the same type, that's a mechanic we've never really seen before. Whereas we've seen a mechanic of reaching further like people mod stuff like that in all the time and frequently don't use them or you know people are just able to get closer to the thing that they're building and i think people have seen inventory assistance mods and that kind of stuff enough to know what kind of functionality is going to improve their life and what isn't um and so i'm kind of i'm on the fence about this and i honestly think if people just vote for the cutest mob then that's at least a compelling reason for them to vote because like you said at the beginning i'm not super compelled by any one of these there isn't an obvious answer for me um i did make the joke in our discord is it too late to repackage these as golems so that a golem can win can there be a claw golem a terracotta golem and a speedboat golem <laughs> um but but honestly i'm tentatively on team crab um, because it feels like it's the most impactful on the game, mechanically speaking. And I think about this in a long-term mob vote as design brief kind of look at the, 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 the situation where, like, if Mojang sees players voting for something because it helps mechanically with block placement reach, perhaps they consider finding ways to augment other aspects of building with future additions because it's clear that's something that the player base yes. would like. On the flip side of that, of course, they've given the player base who likes building one thing, so maybe they focus on other aspects of the game because they feel like those players have been appeased. Uh, so it's not necessarily a foolproof idea, but I do wonder if maybe Mojang takes some of their cues from the idea of, well, we've seen that the players consistently vote for the type of mob that adds functionality to the game that adds certain behaviors to the game that adds something that appeals to a broad range of play styles let's focus on stuff like that for future editions honestly i think the average player will be much more excited about dog armor than i am so my strong suspicion is that the armadillo is going to win not even necessarily because people like the armadillo but because people love their dogs so much and i'd be fine with that too i still enjoy the designs of the armadillo and the penguin 
and as we've discussed, I think they have their own merits as mobs, but I'm expecting that the armadillo is going to have a strong popular vote. Um, they're not necessarily like, <laughs> I, I hate to say it this way, but like the thinking man's choice. Um, I, I say that in huge sarcasm quotes. Um, but I think they are the kind of thing that if people want that sort of stuff in game, I've certainly seen people advocating for the idea of dog armor before this idea ever came along. And I haven't seen that many people say, hey, you know what would really change the game for me? If we could reach one block further when placing blocks. So I do think that the armadillo has a strong contingent that could see it win out in future. We did take a little reaction poll at the beginning of this uh, Discord call where we record the podcast with our community listening in. And uh, the crab wins with 13 votes to the armadillo's 9 and the penguin's 7. But that's still relatively close. And that may just be that our community is focused on a variety of gameplay, more technical stuff, more builders, and they feel like that's a functionality that represents them. But who's to say what the broader community thinks? For me, the crab is also my number one, but I wouldn't be upset at all if the penguin won. Like, it just, I'm not really married to either. I think that they're both interesting. They both could add some whimsy and, and interesting things to the game. For the same reason that you think the crab is number one, I think also the crab for me would be the most interesting and broad-reaching addition uh, in in some of the fallout that could happen afterwards in terms of what it might uh, trickle down and affect other systems in the game. Um, and I put the armadillo at the bottom. Not because I don't think the armadillo is cute. I just don't think that the functionality that it adds is really appealing to me. Um, as far as the cute thing goes, I, I want to be specific in saying I think that only applies to this year. Uh, yeah. I wasn't thinking cute at all last year. But I think, again, I'm glad that you brought up the comparison to the... Um, the rascal, the Allay, and or sorry, the um, the sniffer, and the other stuff uh, was it the copper golem, and the it was tough golem sniffer rascal. Right, that was last year. Right, yeah. So, but we had more information about those three than we do these three, the new ones. Uh, the sniffer they gave you quite a lot of information about what it was going to do. The the type of plant that arrived was pretty. Um, was a surprise but the fact that it was going to give it an ancient seed and that it was going to give you something new that you could harvest and plant stuff i i just i feel like they gave us a lot more information i felt that the sniffer won not just because it was an appealing mob but because it also offered the most clear kind of functionality and the expectations would be met um i don't see that in any of the mobs this year so that's why i'm just kind of like well like i they're all okay and so if they all get in or if, not all get in but if if any one of them gets in, rather, uh, I'm not going to be like, boo, like bad decision. Like, it's it's fine. You know, it's all fine. And I think that that's kind of why this year for me, it's just a little bit, um, a little bit less exciting than previous years. I don't think it's so much that we have less information. It's just that there is less information to convey about these mobs because their functionality all seems to be fairly streamlined. I think, honestly, they're not doing anything as complex with these mobs as having it work like the sniffer does mm, um they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're existing mobs they're natural world mobs i think something is said about each of them by the fact that they already exist so That's players have fair. preconceived yeah. notions about liking a penguin already you know they don't have to do a hard sell on the penguin people already love penguins so i, I do and and crabs are obviously like internet meme happy and you know armadillos have a a, a fair few kind of you know, cultural touchstones reference points to them. So we went through a couple of them already. So I do think there's there's room for players to already be attached to those without them having to promise a ton of stuff along with each mob. 
Um, but either way, it'll be interesting to see which way things go for the community vote that's going to be happening at Minecraft Live, and you can vote through the Minecraft Launcher, a Bedrock Minecraft server that will be open for the duration of the vote, and through Minecraft.net logged in with your user profile. So make sure to cast those votes. It's happening from the 13th to the 15th, and as long as you vote within that range, we'll get the results at Minecraft Live, and we'll get to see what goes on there. That wraps up this episode of The Spawn Chunks, and you'll be seeing us simultaneously casting Minecraft Live over at twitch.tv slash Joel and I will be giving our thoughts as The Spawn Chunks podcast as the announcements unfold. In the meantime, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it in Discord every week. And our monthly Minecraft audio hangout is the typical milestone for the end of the month where people get to discuss what they've been doing in Minecraft that month. There's also lots of lively discussion going on in the Discord about the mob vote, and there will be, I'm sure, lively discussion about whatever features are announced at Minecraft Live. We currently have 321 patrons, which is up from last week, but there is always room for more. Special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, JumboSale, Mindtrip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the YouTube series. That's where you'll be finding the Minecraft Live stream as well. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Links to everything that I'm doing online can be found at joelduggan.com, including the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. I'm Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday, building the Citadel Minecraft server most of the time and live Lego on Fridays, working my way through the UCS X-Wing Starfighter. It's coming together quite quickly. It's very fun. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Get to the polls!